0: Good Eisenberg, and welcome to your favorite podcast. The name of this show is Eisenberg. My name is Ian Eisenberg. Each episode, I interview people that I find interesting. Some of them I know, some of them I don't know. Today's guest is Jason Pfeiffer, he is the editor in chief of Entrepreneur Magazine. And he is the host of a podcast of his own, which is called Pessimist Archive. He's a very interesting person. This is one of my favorite interviews I've done so far. So, ladies and gentlemen, Jason Pfeiffer. We're here with my guest today. His name is Jason Pfeiffer. He is the host of Pessimist Archive, which is a podcast and. He's also the editor-in-chief of Entrepreneur Magazine. Jason, welcome to
1: the show. Oh, hey, thanks. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Excellent. I know we were talking just before the show started. It's just amazing to think that we first met 20 years ago, and here we are now. It was all leading up to an interview on a podcast.
1: Yeah, I know. And 20 years ago, nobody had heard of a podcast. A lot of the technology that we're using to make this podcast wasn't around. I was just on my uh, my college campus, my alma mater's campus, giving a talk. And uh, I was giving a talk to their 10th anniversary uh, of the Innovation and Entrepreneurship Center at Clark University. And, you know, I wasn't on campus when that existed, <laughs> which, is, uh, which is horrifying to think. You know, 10 years ago, was a, it was a big time for them, and, and it, was, it was long after I had left.
0: Yes. However, it's all put together. You being an alum and essentially working in a space where that all fits in with everything.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know. I mean, that's uh, that's the thing. It's it's uh, it's it's universal experiences, and it's uh, always great to kind of go and be able to share your experiences with with people who are very very much literally in the same place that you once were.
0: Excellent. So the. I like if you could share a little bit about your background, because I know you. I've it's really cool as we talk about the evolution of the internet. How we've we originally after we crossed paths twenty years ago, like we've been keeping in touch online. We used to each have our own individual websites, and, yeah, and it's gone from that to blogging to social media. And then the fact that you actually have had a career as a journalist leading to your editor-in-chief gig. Um, Tell me what interests you and what made you want to do that, and how did you get to where you are now?
1: Yeah, boy, well it's it's a long it's a long rambling story that I'll try to <laughs> condense down. Um so I started out as a well, I mean if you're talking about blogs, boy, I started out with a members.aol.com space, which uh may mean something to listeners over the age of 35, but uh I, I yeah, I blogged and and um and I, I started uh, in high school. I was I was uh, I started some zines, and I was writing music, writing for music magazines. But you know, it really wasn't until after college um, that I, I got a job as a community newspaper reporter, and I knew that I was really interested in journalism, and I knew that I loved telling people 's stories, and I also knew that I wanted to do it at a really high level and working at this tiny little paper called The Gardner News Circulation Six Thousand in North Central Massachusetts was just just not doing it for me and um, and it was really hard you know it was really hard because i, I wasn 't all that trained, and I wasn't a, a, a great writer. I think I was an okay writer, but I had a lot to learn, and I think that I was impatient about learning it. And 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 I've I've come to I've come to say to, to students, I was just saying this to the Innovation Entrepreneurship Center. I've come to say to students that I think that it's important to be patient and impatient at the same time. You know, like you should you should have that impatience of, of feeling like you know where you, I mean this is you know if, if if this is the kind of life that you want to lead in the career that you want to pursue that. You know, you don't, you don't want to be um, content where you are. You always want to be thinking bigger, and you want to be eager to get there. But you also have to be patient enough to understand that it takes a lot of hard work to get there and that the work is slow and plodding and requires constant, constant attention. And that, honestly, is really the summary of, of my career. I mean, I, I took a few big leaps. I, I quit that first newspaper job to freelance out of my bedroom for nine months. Um, uh, uh, I didn't have any connections. I was just cold-pitching editors. And after nine months, I, I got into the Washington Post and Salon.com and Boston Globe. And that got me a second newspaper job, which I, I worked and then and then quit again to move to Boston uh, because I, I had um, started a freelance relationship with Boston Magazine, and I saw some movement in the masthead, and I thought, you know, I, I should just make it really clear that I want to be hired, and there's really there's no other option here. And so I quit, I quit the second newspaper job, and I moved to Boston, and I told the editor-in-chief that I was ready to be hired, and uh, he bought it, which was great, because I don't know what the hell I would have done otherwise. And uh so from there i you know i I went from Boston to Men's Health to Fast Company to Maxim and then to entrepreneur and and along the way, continued to kind of think of my my work as both um you know um patient and impatient i was I was constantly freelancing on the side I would devote my my evenings and and my weekends to writing for other magazines and and that was really gratifying because um, you know, I, I'd be working at fast company, uh, but I'd also then be able to go home and write for New York Magazine or GQ or Popular Mechanics. It was really, really cool, and and it just it taught me a lot about about the industry and the different kinds of voices that you need to be able to write in and and what you need to understand in order to um, kind of develop the skill sets that'll help you at the next level and. Um, you know, I feel really fortunate to have, uh, t- you know, gotten to, to this to this title that I I had wanted for a long time. But of course, you know, in media, nothing is guaranteed, and uh, I had no idea if I'd actually make it, but I did.
0: Yes, you quit, and then you get another job, and you quit, and you freelanced, and here you are, and talking about media. I know some of the things which which I've found interesting over years is I remember especially like in your fast company days when you made those videos. Can you tell yeah. me the story of like where that came from? Was that from you? Was it from people you were working with? Because those were fun.
1: Yeah, thanks. I love doing those. I, I gotta get um I gotta get back in front of the camera more often than I more often than I do. You know, the great thing about Fast Company was that they, they just have a really large video department and here at Entrepreneur, we have a smaller video department, and we're just we're just not quite set up to do those kinds of. Um, we, I was doing a weekly um, a weekly column, functionally, kind of Andy Rooney-ish, uh, get in front of the camera and rant, and then I was also doing some um, in the field stuff. So where did that come from? Well, you know, I, there's kind of two ways to to talk about that. Number one is that uh, similar to what I was what I was saying before about skill sets. I, I really started to think of every job that I took less about the the destination of it, like you know less about um, you know do I really want to work at Men's Health? Do I really want to work at fast company? And more about what can I learn at these jobs that can. That can build up my skill set, um, that that, and then all that those skills can be transferable elsewhere. You know? so I, I started thinking like I took that magazine job at, at Men's Health because I wanted to learn packaging. I wanted to learn it's a certain kind of uh, style of magazine editing called packaging. If you if you flip through a magazine, you see lots of little pieces and charts and all that stuff. That's called packaging. And then uh, you know I took the fast company job really thinking because I, I wanted to learn long form editing. Uh, you know the long stories, 4,000 words and and that's i focused on a lot a lot but then this video department started building and i i thought you know i really want to get involved in this i had done a little bit of video and and i and i found it fun but also terrifying and i and i wanted to um i wanted to get really really comfortable in front of the camera i wanted to learn Hyper specific things I was thinking about, like like I want to get really comfortable being able to make eye contact with a camera while you're talking, which is really hard if you've never done it. Like it takes that just takes practice, and also developing how to speak on camera. You know, you do something that is sort of similar to what I'm doing right now, which is that you you kind of talk in this in this kind of more forcefully. Um, this more forcefully confident voice than you might do if you're just like sitting at, at a table having dinner, but it works really well on on video or on audio because you you need you know you just need to be able to project that in order to sound really good <laughs> on the other side, uh, and uh, and I, I just wanted to learn all those skills I felt that they were really valuable uh, and transferable and that and that whatever my next job is I I need to do even more of them and so that's that's kind of how we we developed it I got in front of the camera the, those guys liked me. I, I liked them and we uh we just kind of figured out ways to work together
0: that sounds fun and speaking about ways that you're working with people in different media let's segue into pessimist archive and and your role there as a host and they're like how did that come from
1: yeah so that by the way um i'll apologize for the occasional slamming that you might hear i'm in mean, I'm in the entrepreneur offices, and the, um, the, the quietest room I have um, happens to be, unfortunately, just a thin wall away from the front door, and um, there's always kind of slamming. So um, just going to have to live with it. So, so, we so, have Kazim- these,
0: so that means we have all of these cameos from everyone coming in and out, not realizing they're on the show.
1: That's right. <laughs> that's right. If you listen really closely, you can figure out the foot traffic of the entrepreneur office. So, um, so pessimist archive. Uh, I, you know, I really, really am fascinated by techno pessimism, um, techno phobias, and uh, the reason for that. And and this is this goes long back. I mean, I was writing about this at Fast Company, and and probably even earlier. The the thing that the thing that really attracts me to it is that it feels like uh, irrefutable proof that today's fears of technologies uh, are, 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 are misplaced. Um, you know, the conversations that we have today are about. The way that the iPhone is harming our attention spans, and uh, you know facebook is is making us uh, stay at home and 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 not go out in groups or we know whatever crazy things people say, I mean they say all sorts of stuff and and i just I just find those things to be fundamentally false, and I think that the The the, the proof, the the greatest proof that I can offer, because obviously I can't see into the future, but you can look into the past and you can see that we were saying the same things about earlier technologies that today we don't consider threatening at all. So, you know, the same kinds of things that people say about about smartphones and Facebook and Google and all that stuff were things that people were saying about the Walkman and the radio and the television and the telephone and the bicycle and all that stuff. And, and it's just, you know, you, 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 you look at all that and you realize we, as a people, are not nearly as fragile as we keep treating ourselves. You know, we don't, like, one piece of technology does not suddenly destroy the fabric of humanity. It's just a ridiculous concept. So uh, Pessimist Archive actually came about, the the actual brand didn't didn't come from me. It came from this guy, Louis Anslow, who is British and just started a a Twitter feed in which he was digging up all these really awesome uh, old uh, clippings from, you know, 1800s newspapers talking about how bicycles are going to ruin our morality or whatever. And and uh, I, I had picked up uh, some steam and it became popular on Twitter. And I just reached out to him and I said, I love this. This is exactly the kind of thing that I talk about all the time. Um, and if there's a way to work together, let's do it. And we talked and um, he he had really wanted to launch a podcast and I um, really wanted to host a podcast. And he 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 didn't want to host. He just wanted to kind of help produce. And so I said, well, let's do it. Uh, it'll be so much fun. And so we, we started... Um, I think last summer, and it's been it's been a total blast. I mean, I really had to learn podcasting from the very ground up. Uh, I, I didn't even have a microphone, um, and. It's been it's been uh, great, kind of figuring out how to produce this thing and and how to tell stories in a completely different medium and voice than I'm used to. The whole thing's been a wonderful learning experience, and and in the process has has drawn in a lot of uh, people who think like us, and um, and also hopefully I think uh, you know we're challenging other people to start to question their own perceptions of technology.
0: Yeah, that Walkman episode was definitely something that I was that was just shocking, but it makes sense i can see like especially that town where it was illegal to cross the street wearing a walkman
1: yeah i know woodbridge new jersey they were the first town in the country to pass a ban on walkmen in walkmen walkmans i don't know how to pluralize that uh on um on uh city on city roads yeah you couldn't walk across the street with a with your headphones on even if your headphones were unplugged even if they weren 't uh, plugged into something, which is really interesting, yeah that you know we the reason we started with that episode by the way, and um, you know I, for people who haven 't heard it uh, it's, it's indeed it goes back into the to the history of of um, the fears about the Walkman, which were very, very strong. Um, you know you, you probably don 't remember this even if you lived through it, but the the early 1980s were full of newspaper columns and public debates about how the Walkman was going to ruin our sense of community, and nobody was going to talk to each other anymore and on and on and uh the reason that i chose that as the first episode is because there was this great hero uh at the center of it this this guy who had who had the day that the ban in woodbridge new jersey went into effect he uh he was this retiree and he put on a, hair, a, pair, a pair of uh, headphones and he walked across the street and he got a ticket and then he he went to court and he spent like quite a while fighting it and um you know, he was he was ultimately uh, vindicated in that the Walkman is uh, is not a, a banned object uh, from here to there anymore, though. Um um, uh, unfortunately, he um, he had he had since passed away, and uh, uh, the best I could I could sort of get to him was I had found a, an old friend of his, and I contacted his son, and so I was able to reconstruct his story. But that's the thing about technology; it's really it's it, you know it, the, the technology or business or anything. These are really they're all people's stories, and and the, the most compelling way to tell them is to really get to the people at the heart of them.
0: Excellent. So you've so you've accomplished with print, video, um, audio what's next beyond that?
1: Uh, well, I mean, I wouldn't say that I have, like, climbed to the mountaintop on all of these things. Um, so what's next I, it's, is, is a lot of learning and, and growing in all of them. I mean, I, you know, I, I still think of, to go back to the skill sets thing I talked about earlier, I still think of everything that I do as, as kind of learning different skill sets that are transferable. So to me... Pessimist Archive is it's it's a lot of fun. It's very gratifying, but it's also just a way to learn audio because maybe I'll you know maybe I'll want to go into into um, more audio one day and um, make uh, podcasting or radio or something my full time job. I, you know I don't know, but I think that it's important for me to know how to do it. And similar with you know with TV, I wanna you know, I get I get comfortable in front of a camera so that you can put me on TV and, and maybe that's something that I'd want to start doing more of. Um I you know I I uh I think that the greatest the greatest thing about media today, for as scary as it is, that it's so varied and constantly changing is that there are so many different opportunities to do the kinds of things that uh, I love to do, which is to tell stories and to tell them with voice and and to to just kind of find really interesting people and things and talk about them. And there's just so many ways to do that. And I I think that the only way to really stay um, ahead of it, is to kind of try to be doing all of them at once so that you are as proficient in all of them as possible when the next opportunity comes along. Not I... to say that I am looking for the next opportunity right now because I'm very happy in this job, but, you know, um, it's a it's an ever-changing world.
0: Yes, it is. I mean, the fact that I remember a few years ago when you were doing the uh, selfies at funerals Tumblr.
1: yeah. Yeah, that was uh, that was the uh, that was one of the most viral tumblers of 2013 for whatever that accolade is worth. Um, that was um, that was uh, a tumbler that I had created. It was actually part of a series of tumblers I created. Uh, and uh, selfies at funerals was the one that just kind of blew up the most. Um, it was it was a collection of images that I had found from social media of people, you know, mostly millennial age, uh, taking taking selfies of themselves at funerals, um, in, you know, kind of various stages of strange facial expressions, you know, like people just sort of posing in mirrors, um, like they were at a dance and, um, or, or, or in occasional cases, um, taking selfies with a, um, like a body. Uh, and, uh, it was just, yeah, it was really, really strange and, um, and fascinating. And I, you know, I thought, I thought uh, it was—I thought it was a great conversation starter. Honestly, I didn't—I didn't—I didn't think of what these kids were doing as as terrible. Um, I just thought of it as different and um, and worth talking about, and you know, off-putting to some, but to to others probably makes a lot of sense as as part of the grieving process and. Uh, yeah, boy, it got people talking. I mean, it was, it was everywhere. It was, uh, Good Morning America. I was interviewed on the, uh, BBC. Uh, the, um, uh, the Guardian had me write about it. The LA Times covered it. I mean, it was just, um, um, midnight, uh, that Comedy Central show made a, made a joke out of it. I mean, it was everywhere. It was really, really cool. And, um, and, you know, really shows you the power of, um, the power of, uh, of the internet—that you can just kind of observe something interesting and throw together a collection of it—and and, um, off it goes. Everybody starts talking about it. I mean, you can really drive the conversation if you um, if you notice something before other people do. And uh, and then the other the other ones were uh, selfies at serious places, which um, you know, which is like a little bit of everything uh, from Auschwitz to the 9/11 memorial. And then uh, selfies with homeless people, which was the last one that I did. That that um, unlike my um, my sort of more conflicted feelings about the the funerals one, the selfies at homeless people, I thought was just um, genuine malice. I, I thought those kids were just were just being mean, and wow. uh, and in that case, I, I just I I thought it was worth pointing out.
0: Yeah, but I think another important thing and another benefit you got this is this: you became an authority of the definition of the word selfie. What is a selfie? What isn't a selfie?
1: I did. It was really weird and fun. Yeah. Um. You know. I mean, the thing was that like. We go through this as a culture, uh, I, think, I think, fairly regularly, where, um, you know, if, if, like, a word is put to something or if or if a particular action is attached to a particular generation, we, we start to treat it as, as like, brand new. Um, and so, you know, the word se- – I mean, you know, you – I mean, I'm sure you were doing this. I certainly was. I mean, back in the days of camera film, I was turning the, the, the camera on me. I was taking a selfie. But the word selfie didn't exist at the time, and therefore it was just, you know, taking a photo of yourself. And in fact, you can go back to pretty much the dawn of the camera and find people taking photos of themselves. But something about something about that time, 2013. I mean, it was just you know, it was I don't know what it was. It was a, it was a moment where this the I think people were wrestling with um, the way that uh, a new generation expresses themselves and social and there, there's a you know there's there's a large generational divide happening now. Uh, between how people use technology, and, and there was just something about the selfie that I think, as a word and an action, just really, it almost it almost confirmed people's uh, older people's biases against uh, millennials um, as self uh, as you know self obsessed and um, lazy or you know whatever, and so it it became I think that word just kind of became a it became a a, a catalyst for this kind of culture clash. And then, um, and then, and then, selfies at funerals just came along at the perfect time and kind of um, really uh, captured that clash. And so suddenly, I had, uh, yeah, I had. This was I had a long tail. I mean, there were for probably two years, people, um, you know, reporters at at everywhere, from the, from the from the you know the New York Times to um, authors writing books to, um, to, to 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 artists putting together. Um, uh galleries uh, i mean every just everybody was calling me uh for a comment on on selfie culture in some way which was fun that was the first time that i had really ever um i had really ever kind of become like a like a like a sort of expert like that uh like a like a media expert uh that people just turn to um and so i i really had my shtick down i had a lot of deep thoughts about selfies that I came up with on the fly and then repeated over and over (laughs) as people kept asking me for interviews and, um, and, uh, and, uh, yeah. And then I, and then I was, I was happy to move on from it because I I don't think that I could be talking about selfies, uh, four years later now.
0: And here we are. And, and speaking about everyone requesting for interviews, thank you for accepting my request to do this interview on my little budding
1: podcast here. Oh yeah. No, my pleasure. I mean, you know, listen, um uh it's it's this is a funny thing. I was just telling some friends about this um the other day and they all they all laughed because well, I don't know. I don't know why you laugh at this, because it's ridiculous, I guess. But anyway, one of my goals when I was a kid, like, you know, long before I knew what it was that I wanted to do, um I my, my one of my goals was to be interviewed. I <laughs> just really wanted to be interviewed. And um and I think, you know, it's for flattering. It's flattering to be asked to to uh, to share your thoughts and that your thoughts are valuable enough that like somebody or multiple people are going to listen to them and uh and and so um and so you know I, that that sort of carries over today in in this way in which I I it's not just that I want to be you know interviewed but it's that I it's that I I um I love creating things and working on things that are worth talking about and that that feels extremely gratifying so you know when when people ask me onto onto podcasts or tv or whatever or or on stage to talk about um you know usually entrepreneur magazine but occasionally pessimist archive and occasionally uh, other things um you know it just feels i love i love the act of um talking and explaining and I, and, and I love to be in a position where I'm making something that people are curious about in the same way that I am very curious about how people make other things. And I, you know, I listen to like uh, you know, the long form podcast because I, um, you know, I see them interviewing a, a writer whose work I, I liked and I want to hear how it's made. And, um, and so I, I feel, I feel extremely gratified to to be in a position to be working on the kind of stuff that people are curious about.
0: Well, thank you, Jason. And for anyone who's interested um, in contacting you, where shall they find you?
1: Yeah. Um, I would say the best couple things to do is Twitter. Um, Twitter is, uh, at Hey Pfeiffer, H E Y F E I F E R and, uh, Pessimist Archive. You can find wherever you find podcasts, including presumably this one. And also on our show page at pessimists.co. And, um, uh and yeah i mean you know and if you want to if you want to reach out to me you can find contact information uh for me at my website which is jasonpfeiffer.com
0: excellent jason thank you for being a guest on the show and um am happy content making
1: yeah <laughs> i that's, that's actually i despise the word content uh but um uh because uh if i can make a quick case against content i you know i feel like I feel like uh content um there's this funny word that that has just sort of come to mean like everything that's um everything that you can sell an ad against you know it's all this kind of disposable content and uh um and uh and so I um uh, you know this may be haughty and probably obnoxious but I I just really uh you know I never think of myself as making content I think of myself as telling stories which which makes me feel like I'm like, I'm I'm doing something more than just, I guess, feeding the ever-hungry machine.
0: All right. In that case, happy storytelling.
1: There you go. There much, we... much better. And thank you again to Jason
0: Pfeiffer for participating in the interview. I actually approached him about a year before the interview happened and before I really started ramping up production of this show. Glad you guys enjoy Eisenberg. Thank you for listening. I invite you to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, and Stitcher. I also invite you to rate the show, to subscribe it, and just spread the word that I, Ian Eisenberg, have a podcast and you like it. Or at least I think you do. Until next time, this is Ian Eisenberg, and you have a great iceberg.